to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast, chill cast, ketchup cast here, savoring the moment before we start yet another career arc series. Savor it, folks. Breathe it in, hold it in, and slowly breathe it out because this might be the last one for a while where we just get to sit back, relax, and chill and hang out. And deliver fully unpolished content. <laughs> this is what well, the that's people want. that's people... what they pay us the big bucks, you know, our, yeah. our donors, our executive producers. They specifically ask, they clamor every week. Uh, Malignant got, nobody listened to that episode. Terrible <laughs> numbers. But, you know, we, we put these out where we just kind of scramble around for a while and people love it. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I was watching college football before we record this episode. It's like how like early on the season, Alabama's like, yeah, we're scheduling Central Arkansas to play. Like we got to have like some cupcakes to just like really get our juices flowing so that we can like fuck up some other teams down the line. That's what we're doing is like we're getting these juices flowing. And believe me, fellas, after this podcast, the juices are going to be flowing. Are you juicing right now? <laughs> I'm so juiced right now. Oh, my God. I'm, it is um, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, um, and I'm just sipping on this nice yingy. Our, having a good time. Our most listened to episode of 2021 looks like is, uh, well, without counting the best of we did, we do at the beginning of the year, is um, the Can You Guess the Lyrics the most unhinged episode of this podcast. So that's what the that's, people like. <laughs> I still love to just think that that was our most recent episode before we had to ask people uh, if they won, if they would allow us to interview them for Tribeca. <laughs> so that was their introduction to We Bought a Mic was listening to it. And they're just like, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing at all. But they can guess the I, lyrics. And we got Jenna Malone, so that's all I care about. We we got we got who we I got wanted. Jenna. We got <laughs> Jenna. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Ernest. I am triple monitor right now, Hunter. I'm Jelly. I'm single monitor, Drew. I got I got my MacBook. It's propped up on a little laptop stand. I got the Bluetooth trackpad, Bluetooth keyboard. Not bad. However, I will be getting a second monitor. Um, that's my promise to you, the listener, by the time we do our next Zoom episode, which hopefully I'm, will be never. I'm excited. Like, I'm just looking forward to whenever Drew's hot takes about the Rolling Stone top 500 uh, song list, which we are discussing on this podcast whenever those come out. I'm going to take my Bluetooth monitor. I'm just going to start breaking it because I can't. I'm not tied to any cords right now. We are on Zoom today because Hunter went to a concert. So he, we didn't want him to expose us. To whatever germs the people of uh, Front Bottoms uh, concert oh. uh, would uh, spread to it's our Jeremy. pod studio. Do you guys do? Do y'all want me to talk about that, or you want to say that? I know that we've talked about uh, us and music correspondent of the podcast, Danny, coming on to talk about the state of music in the future. That was the plan when we thought Bonnaroo was going to happen, and he was going to go to Bonnaroo. Um, but then it got canceled when we were going to go to shaky knees and Ernest, you're still going to shaky knees, mm -hmm. but I am unfortunately getting married a week later. So I will not be going to shaky I... knees. 
Uh, how was the show, though? I mean, this was like the first show, uh, real it's, show uh, in since the pandemic, right? Yeah. No. So this is the first concert that I've been to since um, I me and Guy figured it out while we were there. We went and saw the Wonder Years on February 26, 2020. So like right in the wire, like two weeks later, everything was getting canceled. Mm-hmm. So we got in right under the wire. But at a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, I realized this is the longest time of me not going to a live concert since I was probably like 15 years old. Like just, I mean, even before I hit adulthood, even whenever we were in high school, I was always going to shows like at least like every couple months or something like that. So it was, uh, I, it was incredible. I mean, it was the front bottoms put on an amazing show in general, even if I'm not the biggest fan of their newer music one, they know what the people want. And it was like almost all oldies and people were going fucking nuts for it. Um, But even other than that, like just the crowd was incredible because it's a bunch of people who have also been cooped up inside for the last 18 months and they want to fucking get out. They want to go out and dance like they want to move. I'm ready to fucking spit on somebody. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's go. I will say the crowd was pretty respectful there. Like for, I mean, it was at masks. the Hard Rock, which is a little bit of a bigger venue. There was masks, I'd say. No, not during the show. Maybe, no way. No. Well, there was some people wearing masks during the show, but you know, um, for Orlando people, Hard Rock is a pretty big, pretty open floor. So a lot of people were just like hanging out towards the back before it gets to the race part. A lot of people were just hanging back there and you had like plenty of space. You can just chill back there with your mask on everything. That's where we stood back a little bit for the openers because I wasn't the, I, know, I don't know Oso Oso or anything. So I was just trying to like chill for that part. Um, had the mask on for most of the show until front bombs came on. And then I'll be honest, I was a, I was a bad little apple and I took my mask off and I got some cold sweat thrown on me. Um, and it was nice. It was what I craved, but this is one of those situations where you pray it's blood and not snot or, or, or just spit like, uh, I hope hope Brian just bleeds on me, please. It was great. Dude, Brian loves Florida. He kept talking about like how much he loves Florida. He's like, I want to move to Florida. You guys have the right energy. And I was like, Brian, don't do that. It's a mistake. Yeah, You don't, don't want to do-, do that. Yeah, they always get rowdy. All those, every front bottom show in Florida gets rowdy. I, it's just funny because like, you know, I, I feel like I take it, we probably all take advantage of like how fun it is for bands to play in Florida. Like think about when like a band is like, I, no offense to our Fargo listeners, but when they're in like Fargo, North Dakota or something like that, like the crowd is not the same when it's like January and you're like in like a frigid place kind of out in the country. People are like, oh, fuck, like I don't care. And there's like, oh, OK, I guess we'll play another song now. And Florida people are just lit all the time, probably to our detriment as a state. But it's fun for live shows. So, you know, well, we we love front bottoms. That's kind of a perfect back to concerts uh yeah. band did they I, uh, I beg to differ because yesterday it is good to hear though that uh the concerts are are happening and they're you know things are going well because yesterday i did buy my ticket for 100 gax oh shit yeah come into orlando november. yep yeah. november 7th oh that's gonna shit. be uh that's that's my guy we're gonna be um that's our real wedding present to ourselves 
is that we're going to go experience 100 gex and i guess we can finally announce it we are the opener for 100 gex <laughs> yeah. in, in orlando we're going to re- be recording an episode um it's going to be about the mcu <laughs> oh god yeah it's just a us full, live on stage but... deep dive <laughs> But it's, it's just, gonna be it's gonna be well it's gonna be about one frame in the first Captain America movie. Oh <laughs> now you're speaking my language. And it's like zoom audio, but like played backwards and then all it's like just the most compressed thing that you can possibly have and then distorted so that it keeps the same vibe as one hundred gex. We are yeah, we are gonna be zooming in to it. Yeah. <laughs> We're not gonna be there. <laughs> But then we will be in the audience for the yeah. concert if you do want to do some meet and greet while that band is playing. We're gonna, they are. We're going to pretend like it's a live stream and we're going to be like taking uh, questions from the audience, but like it will be pre-recorded and there mm-hmm. won't be anybody yeah. asking questions. And then we'll play it like from a speaker into a microphone. Yeah. So it's, it's not like a direct line in. It's just like like distorted into a microphone. That's the way they would want it. I am I am curious, though, before we move on, though, did they check any vaccine cards at the door or is that illegal in the state of Florida? Um, so whenever you buy a ticket, it says that you have to be vaccinated. Right. Um, I think that is for Hard Rock. I know it is for House of Blues um, in Orlando. I'm not positive about Hard Rock, so I could be wrong there. Um, no. No, not at all. Not 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 a single vax card was checked. Again, but there is actually a way to have gone to the show and like have stayed somewhat safe. Again, you're still inside, like right. indoors with people, but people were like just like jamming out and everything and had their masks on in the back of the crowd. Excuse me. Even if you took your mm. mask off, like there was some room for personal space back there. I just elected at a certain point to not um have said personal space but hey you know i was i was still i was still safe i did put my mask on whenever i actually got like in the pit i you know well i don't know if that's helping anything at that point but i did well, you put got it on there. you got that vaccine so that gives you that gives you more I'm protection vaccinated. than the mask i've been uh i've been quarantining myself so far we're feeling good um but yeah you know it's good to be back at concerts baby yeah, hopefully we'll have more concerts soon. I know uh, I still plan on going to to uh, Shaky, so I'll report back from that next month. Um, before we get to any ketchup items today, I did want to recognize the passing of two entertainment legends uh, that passed within the last couple of weeks. Michael K. Williams, actor, and Norm MacDonald, comedian. Uh, both pretty shocking, I would say, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, Michael K. Williams, I believe, uh, passed of an overdose. Yeah, an accidental <laughs> overdose that was confirmed today, actually. And then Norm uh, had has cancer, secretly battling cancer for like over a decade, which is um, insane. Like, unbeknownst to the world. In retrospect, though, just like Chadwick, a lot more things make sense now about Norm's like final decade or so. Cause it was always a, a bit of a struggle um, and rumblings and like he had a Netflix deal and then he's just gone. He's off the grid for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and uh, Norm, Michael K. Williams obviously is a legend. I haven't watched The Wire. Uh, I love him on Community. Norm Norm hit me probably harder than any celebrity death has ever hit me. Um, yeah, ever. man. Going back and, and seeing his stuff, it's like 
this guy was special, man. And and it's tough to appreciate someone all the way when you think there's more gas left in the tank from that career. And then once it's suddenly cut short, then it's like, man, we it almost feels like we didn't appreciate his brand of comedy enough while he was alive. Like, I wish that we could tell him how much everybody loved him. And now he's gone. It's like it's so fucking sad. He um he he feels the love. He wrote an autobiography a couple of years ago that had some really, really beautiful passages in it. And again, in retrospect, now you read them and it's it feels knowing of his fate um but also the a lot of that autobiography was just pure fiction like it's just fantasy mixed in with reality uh so i really want to read that um but yeah he he was he probably had the best natural delivery of any person i've ever heard speak uh where his voice was naturally funny and it wasn't in like a try hard way uh no matter what he said, it was funny, but then also he was a, a very good joke teller uh, and a solid joke writer as well. He obviously, to the public, uh, his apex was when he did Weekend Update for a few years in the early 90s. Um, mixed uh, reviews on that because he didn't want to do normal Weekend Update jokes. Uh, so... A lot Does of he, time, did he ever want to do normal jokes? His jokes are always so look, wild. That's kind of was the curse of Norm Macdonald is that he looked like such like a normal like straight man, but he wasn't that. Yeah, like, he was. He like back then he was extremely good looking. Um, he had this like boyish charm to him, and but his humor is like you know it's like church pews humor. It's it's the humor of like oh you know I shouldn't say this but I'm saying it. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's and it was I don't know it ne- it never felt uh, harmful you know which that type of humor usually does but he he won over any room that he was ever in like he just he knew how to destroy people and he I mean I got crazy into him in middle school because mm-hmm. uh, he. he he is in the realm of anti-jokes like he right. does anti-jokes like no one I've ever heard in my life he just he's unbelievable at it he's you know he's very famous for late night appearances where he would tell Conan yeah he would tell like five minute long uh jokes that are like jokes from a joke book from like the 1940s and that but he end, embellishes them yeah, with this and they just craziness go and, go, and then it ends in like a bad joke um and just getting like standing O's for those like dog shit jokes. He's he's a god. Look up look up the it's, moth joke on Conan. On so I, I sent it to you guys recently, and like I laughed harder than I have in a long time with that joke because that's exactly what you just described. Like he just goes off the deep end and then brings it back to the standard punchline that that kind of joke would have, and it just lands like chef's kiss beautifully. Um, it's yeah. it just it's so sad like they is gone i mean it, he is like you, you're right though like it is one of those things where it's it makes sense because of all of the project that he's been tied to and then dropped out of last minute that he has been battling this and for close to a decade now at this point it's funny like this i remember back in our freshman year of high school was a early uh thing that we bonded over drew was because we both knew about norm mcdonald i knew about from like this burt reynolds sketches and shit like that and snl just being like this is the funniest shit that i've ever seen in my life this guy like i fucking love this man which is odd because his his comedy is like wholly not for kids at all like it's like watching seinfeld as a kid like it's not 
you were not the target audience for that at all, but he's just, he's a legend, man. Like it's, it's so sad, especially because the influence that he's had over so many other comedians that we love is just, it's so palpable. And you can tell that by everybody's reaction to his loss, right? From like Scott Ackerman. If if you looked at Twitter, it was just, it was a lot of club comedians saying that like Norm was no matter what room he was in with whoever, he was always the funniest guy, Uh, you know, which is effortlessly too. Like he's like not even trying. Couldn't not touch the hot stove he couldn't stay away from saying the exact things that like he was told not to say he got fired from weekend update because he wouldn't stop making oj jokes uh and the i think the chairman of nbc at the time don olmeyer was like very good friends with oj simpson and he just like would not stop there are so many uh appearances on shows where he will not not say the thing that everyone knows he's not supposed to say he went on the view in the early 2000s and just kept bringing up how bill clinton murdered a guy (laughs) over and over and over um he hosted the espies and the amount of groans in the audience during his monologue is unbelievable legendary it's so good (laughs) yeah he and that's you know that's why i loved him that's why i loved him as a kid he just like he he seemed fearless to me and i you know i admire that yeah, a certain brand of comedy that I think is becoming more and more prominent now with younger comics. And he just like took the fucking the the hit of like trying it on the biggest stage like SNL. And just people were like, what the fuck is this guy doing? You know, he was just yeah, a and, little bit ahead of time. And also he was like also a club comic at heart like he was he had a very traditional side to his act and that's what he wanted to be more than anything else like he could have gone and uh made like a bigger studio film at post snl but instead he chose to make the movie dirty work which was like made with exclusively comedians like bob saget directed that movie i'm pretty sure uh, you know and it's, and it's got like Artie lang co-starring um the so, guy who made farce of the penguins yeah <laughs> that bob saget <laughs> Um, so yeah, he just, he, he sort of lived on his own terms. He, you know, he has regrets he's mentioned before he had, I I think he has had gambling problems. Uh, but I think he mostly just wanted to hang out with very funny people and that's what he did his entire life. RIP Norm. RP um, Michael K. Williams. Did I want to say one thing about Michael K. Williams because I mean, I of course he'll always be Omar from The Wire is what almost everybody will know him from, but it's kind of sad looking back that he was a little bit ahead of his time and that he broke through in the mid to late nineties where there just wasn't really a ton of roles for black men. That wasn't something that was like them playing a gangster or them playing some kind of a very stereotypical role. And it's sad looking back. Cause I mean, of course he has, he's an incredible actor and he's been part of some incredible movies and some incredible performances but like i do wonder with somebody like michael k williams like if he was born 10 15 years later what his career would have looked like because i think that it would have just been even we would have gotten even more iconic iconic work from him i know one of my favorite film performances of his is uh gone baby gone he's amazing in that movie um of course he's incredible and um 12 years a slave uh, we talked about him a little bit last year with Inherent Vice. He's in that movie. Um, yeah, 
great just, scene in Inherent Vice. I mean, yeah, he yeah. pops up all over the place. I, there's a ton of stuff that I still need to get to, like when they see us or Lovecraft mm-hmm. Country, the night of like he's just kind of this guy who's just a a, a presence, a force. Uh, you brought up community earlier. He's incredible in that. And, you know, he's never the main guy, but he always left like a huge mark. Uh, I also wanted to shout out the fact that he was in the original uh, Lord and Miller version of the Han Solo movie that got completely reshot with Ron Howard. So he was the Paul Bettany character uh, and his part got completely reshot by Paul Bettany, but he was supposed to be like this really imposing, like alien type of guy. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that he, you know, he wouldn't have looked exactly like him. He would have kind of been maybe covered up in prosthetics or CGI. Um, but I always just think about like, what if, you know, Lord Miller actually would have made that movie and it would have been, you know, probably a lot better than what we got with Michael K. Williams as like one of the main antagonists. Uh, another you know, another dimension. It's funny. I because uh, <laughs> I have YouTube TV now. And so I just, uh, you know, like to go channel surfing because that's the best part about cable that you don't have the ability to do in a post cable world. Um, and Solo, a Star Wars story was on. And so I was just like. Yeah, you know what? Let me just throw this on. Let me just see how this is and everything. And I completely forgot that Alden Ehrenreich <laughs> plays on solo. The worst I, part of I that movie. I saw him man. on there and I like I I don't remember even what the scene was. It was like early on. It was like whenever he meets Chewie. And it was like one of the worst performances I've ever seen. I was like, no, I'm I'm good. I'm tapping out. I made it like two and a half minutes into this movie. Drew, what are your uh, solo Star Wars story thoughts? Um, you wanna you got like a quick 45 minutes you wanna do on that or <laughs> got anything sorry my connection is just so bad i i, I don't think I, I can do it oh shit okay all right that's fair that's uh michael k williams and norm mcdonald may they rest in peace uh let's get to catch up biggest thing this week survivor 41 the new season is here we have the biggest break in survivor history i think what is it over a year without any new episodes of survivor yeah uh we could go back and look at the log because i know i was actively uh championing survivor season 40 while it was on air which huge w by me i'm glad that this is all working out that i'm getting everybody into survivor am i am i wrong in calling this the 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 biggest tv of the week I mean, obviously, like Ted Lasso is, is every week, and is for I, me. I love that. And you know, there's new shit coming out all the time. Uh, but I don't know. This to me felt like like well, a, a big deal that it's back. Yeah, the thing is that this is like. I mean, it is people can say this about all kinds of reality shows, but this is like sports and especially in a time in the pandemic times where there was no sports that like I had this to look forward to every week. The uh, season finale aired on May 13th, 2020. So it's been a year and four months, just over four months, almost a year and a half, by far the longest break in Survivor history. And I man, it's so good to be back. It's so good to see Jeff. Um, before we even get into how the episode is, can we ask about the, uh, come on in guys, you know, here's the thing. I mean, 
No, here's I'm kind of whatever about that. It's fine. Like you can say whatever you want. Let me let me tell you the thing about that. It would have been so much more normal if he just said, "Hey, just so everyone knows, I'm just going to say come on in from now on." Instead, it became a, he asked. a whole deal. He asked and and uh someone said it's okay and everyone's like, "Yeah, sure." And then later on, someone was like, "Actually, it's not okay." And he was like, "All right then." And he like looks at the camera and he's like, "I'm not going to say it." It's so it's so bizarre how they handled that. Uh, Survivor probably remains one of the best shows that is really hard to recommend to people because it's so fucking corny. Yeah. They, they, well, as all, as all reality TV kind of is, but, but there's a lot the, of reality TV that's done with a, a lot more self awareness than Survivor has, unfortunately. Good point. But it is. I mean, that's what I was going to say is that it is becoming its own brand of self awareness, where the contestants are now like they know the game inside and out. They're not coming in this like super, um, you know, cold. Uh, you might get a couple guys in there. Like I know uh, what's his name? Brad from Wyoming seemed like he had no idea what was going on, no, but dude, for the most strongest part, jaw in the game, man, that for the dude. most part, all of these people know how the game works, which is very shocking to me because I haven't actively watched survivor since I was a kid, like the first few seasons. And I just haven't watched it. And now like recently I've, you know, gotten a little bit more into it. And in that time, it it's crazy how much the game has changed it's, and how much people going into it know past players and past seasons. And they just, they understand the history of survivor and bring that knowledge to how they play the game. It's a lot and better because of that. Uh, yeah. I said this when I was talking about it, like the early, a lot, most of the earlier seasons become pretty hard to watch when you realize the absolute dog shit amount of strategy being played um, right. because I'm watching this to watch a, like a sport. Like I want to watch a strategy game. Um, and you're right. Yeah. The newer players know how to play. Um, they're not just showing up to the beach. Like, yeah, I'm on TV. Um, for the most part, there's still any any season will have people doing that. But uh, you get people who are like, oh, my God, like I've been watching this show my whole life. Like uh, this season, we get people who are like, oh, yeah, during pandemic, all I did was watch Survivor and like, you know, learn from the greats. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they get their they get their shot. So it, it becomes a lot more interesting to watch uh, because of that. Yeah. The thing is that even, I mean, it is more like sport, but it's not like sport in the way that it used to be because it used to be so much more of a, like a focus on the physical demanding nature of it. I mean, I don't know if I talked about it on pod or off pod, but I started back, I didn't watch through every se season of Survivor in order, but like I went back and watched a ton of old seasons through the last year. And um, I watched like, season three when they're in Africa and there's like actually like danger constantly at nights of like, Oh, lions might be able to jump into our camp and maul us in the night. And we have to like be prepared for what could happen. I and survivors that. kind of shied away from that. Not that the game has become easier because that's a whole twist that they have this year is that it is actually much more demanding, but there isn't as much of a focus on the physical threat of it all. It becomes much more, about the mental game and about the, yeah, the, strategy. the social game um, and how like somebody like a poverty or something like that has just changed the game forever. Whenever, since she first showed up because she made the game so much more strategic socially. Um, the big twist for this season 
Well, there's a couple of them. One of them is that it's only 26 days as opposed to the 39 days that they normally shoot, which, you know, COVID production, it, it hurts everything. Am I right? Um, the other thing, which is huge, is that normally for Survivor, the players are allotted one cup of rice a day. They're like given these rations, which is not enough food to like survive. That's why people leave Survivor and they have eating disorders and stuff like that afterwards, because it's not enough food. That one cup of rice, great. You can earn more through rewards and some challenges and stuff like that. But this season, they aren't even given that. It, they are just stuck in these islands and it is, hey, if you win rewards, you might get food. Otherwise, you're eating coconuts and whatever else you can like find a yeah, crab walking luck. around, kill that crab and like split that six ways. Cause that's how you're surviving out here. Yeah. I, I have a lot of questions about, about what we see on screen because this is a show and we don't see everything that happens and it's very telling like how they choose to structure these shows. Right. And I think that that's one of the best things about Survivor is that they're honing into a very specific brand of reality TV um, that no other show can do, which is based on these challenges and the, the dynamic that they build within these tribes and like, you know, alliances and trust and whatnot. But I'm always thinking, like, what do we not see? Right. Like because in the earlier seasons, they would try to make TV moments out of like somebody catching a rat or something like that, you know, and like cooking up a rat. Like we don't see anything like that. We barely see a lot of like just, uh, you know, general life in camp unless it has something to do with the overall story of like who is aligning with who and who's going home this episode. It's they're compressing everything into this one hour block. And there's not a lot of time for just kind of amusing little mishaps around camp. So I'm always thinking like, what, what are we not seeing? You know, cause these, these people, they're so tapped into the game that there's gotta be key things that happen that we don't see, right? Like, are they practicing their balance skills? Yes. Are they doing push-ups, pull-ups, like stretching yoga? Like I'm always thinking about that kind of stuff. Cause it's, it's, it's not the kind of game where when the cameras are off, everybody's just, you know, eating pie and, yeah. and, and getting many manis and petties, you know? Well, and you are right, honestly, with like how a lot of the time is spent on prep, because sometimes in some seasons they'll showcase that we're like, you know, they get tree mail that has like a hint at like, oh, it sounds like this is going to be something that involves building a fire. So like they'll show it on some seasons where it's just like everybody just kind of going to their own little corner and just trying to like make a fire real quick and like see how fast they can do these kind of different things or like it's balance or it's seeing how much water you can carry. And you do see some of that, like people are constantly thinking, I feel like it gets more intense um, once they get to the individual stages, because then it becomes all about individual immunity yeah. and just saving yourself. But yeah, I mean, Grant, there'll be some people who just like are lounging around and, Sometimes you'll see that on seasons and those people usually don't make it far because they're just like <laughs> laying in the shallow water. Just like, I don't know. You know, I, I got the last couple pieces of firewood. So like, I think that I've been doing my part around the camp. <laughs> well, let's talk about the episode itself. So 
I thought it was a great start to the season and this new era of the show that Jeff kept talking about. I mean, he starts the episode talking directly to camera about how much he missed us, the audience, and how great it is to be back. And we get right into it with a crazy challenge with uh, these boats. And, uh, you know, pretty soon we figure out like all of the little things that they're, that they're kind of adding and changing. Um, we have this like trek up a mountain and down with these three guys who are like bonding from each tribe and they get a new wrinkle in terms of like uh, risking or protecting their vote. And it, and it gives a couple of them an extra vote. Um, and we get introduced to, to, you know, a brand new cast of people. Some of them seem like uh, potential for classic survivor, you know, guys and girls that are just like, uh, you know, good TV, uh, good to watch on TV and also like just know how this game works and how to excel at it. Um, I thought the episode itself was great. I thought the challenges were great. The final challenge, the immunity challenge was awesome with the puzzle and like lugging the pieces, the heavy pieces up this ramp. Um, and, uh, yeah. What did you guys think? I, I thought it was great. So, um, I will say, so, uh, I, I went over, I watched this, I watched the, um, the season premiere with Drew and with friend of the pod, Nathan, uh, we were watching football and then through this one on through this season premiere on, and I've gone full circle on, uh, this one guy, JD, um, because here's the thing, JD is a very, very annoying person. Um, and I don't want him to win this season of Survivor, but like I want him he's to so stay on the show. <laughs> he's so like obnoxious and he's like kind of I could see him being set up as the villain of this season. I'm like, now nah, keep JD around. I like this guy. Yeah. Um, I think that there's an interesting group of characters on this. And that's what Survivor is like makes or breaks by the season based on who the characters are and grant these are human beings they aren't really characters but it's a television show so they are characters to us and i think there's a good mix of people i really like danny mccray um who's the football player who's on the show i really like him um really like deshaun uh who's also part of the luvu tribe um i do want to talk a little bit about nasir because i feel like uh my friend who learned English from watching Survivor might not be long for the show, unfortunately. I really like him as a person, but it seems like no one else does. But no, I, I, I like the show. I like how diverse it is. I mean, this is a thing that Survivor has been doing actively for the last decade plus now, but we have an extremely, extremely diverse cast with um, L more LGBTQ members than i remember seeing on specifically one season before more people of color and not framing the people of color in a race force kind of way like they were portrayed earlier in the show's history so yeah no i, I thought it was i thought it was a good premiere um the camera work they might be doing a little bit too much they might be they might be trying to do a little bit too much with the very intense close-ups and the fading the in and motion. out of the slow motion shots and then <laughs> fading and like 
videos from their childhood. They all, that, oh, that, no. see, that to me, <laughs> I think they're doing a little bit too much. That is, that I like is borderline it. criminal to me. That No, that's <laughs> fucking awful. Like, that's that's embarrassing, and it makes it so it's I can't so I can't straight face tell people with good taste to watch the show because of shit like that. It's fucking awful. <laughs> like, no one is asking for that. They're, they, JD, this one guy we're talking about, and three or two other people are on a trek up a mountain which is like semi hard like semi difficult for them but they're not like dying on this trek it's not like life or death he he fell a couple and times yes, he was like i'm a track four, star <laughs> spending four hours lugging water back and forth is so much more difficult than like hiking just, up a couple miles on the mountain this this sequence is twofold embarrassing for survivor because a uh they're giving us this yeah these slow-mo like flashback shots of jd as he's doing like vo interview talking about how his whole life has led up to this moment and he was he was actually <laughs> bullied in school if, if i was i was in actually school i got yeah I got bullied. He, he, you know had I, I had glasses i had braces keep saying that like i actually was bullied as if i'm supposed to be surprised and no of course you were um so, <laughs> the most annoying person in the world i know <laughs> well so here's why that's twofold embarrassing a is because that is corny and really outdated editing style and b that means that uh the editors of Survivor don't know how people writ larger feel about this person because they're giving him yeah. a monstrous hero edit in the first episode. Uh, ostensibly, that means he's going to stick around for a while. Maybe we'll come around on him. But in episode one, uh, his tribe isn't crazy about him. Uh, they're talking about voting him out. Uh, he's like toward the bottom of the tribe. And like we as an audience are like, God, this guy needs to shut the fuck up. And meanwhile, <laughs> Survivor is just off in La La Land acting as if he is their next like big project. I it, it to me. Well, because he he's it expresses how big of a fan of the show he is. So they want to like boost that. They're like, look, he loves the show. He's a super fan. We need to like showcase it this just, it's it's piss poor uh management of screen time in my opinion and the show itself is still great and i like i've watched so many fucking seasons of it in like the past few months uh it's an incredible show but there's always something like this that just it's just like get out of your own fucking way get off of cbs <laughs> like <laughs> cbs has no clue how to handle the properties that it owns yeah I, I was watching it, though, with the lens of the conversation we had when you talked about it, about how Jeff is like just kind of this goat. Uh, yeah, he's he's host. an absolute god. And, and just watching it and, and understanding that he is like this lead creative force in the, the prep and the structuring of the season. Um, and it just watching it with that in mind and and seeing him right there like watching the challenge happen and like being the referee of the challenges it adds so much to it like knowing that he how involved he is and then tribal council he's pushing these people asking these crazy questions and then we get a live tribal which i had never seen before because like i said i'm uh an old school did you watch these watcher, 40? So uh, not in its so entirety. This, I'm, I'm no. assuming this is when uh, this shift happened, where this is now like... Th it, it's happened. It happened before, but it was more of a rare yeah. occurrence in season 40 because it's all like people who knew what the yeah. fuck they're doing. They're like, it we're going to... 
embrace the chaos. Of it the is show. incredibly stressful it is com- to watch it's a live trial. It is one of the probably the most compelling like five minutes of TV I'm going to watch every week. Is if they do live tribals every week, which what that means is at the final like the the thing where pe- someone gets voted off. Right uh, now, the new meta in terms of gameplay seems to be that instead of just sitting there and being interviewed one by one by Jeff and then going to vote, um, it turns out that all along the contestants have actually been free to like get up and walk over to someone and like start a side conversation start whispering yeah. <laughs> uh so that the vote is changing literally seconds before it happens uh people it's are yeah, insane like, no one knows what the fuck is going on uh it, it's unbelievable i mean in season 40 it was like some of the highest level shit uh, you know you could ever see because every contestant in that season was a winner of survivor but uh yeah i that's that's what i keep watching for because there, there are going to be moments of uh unbelievable like strategic chaos every single episode what did you guys think of our two uh our two uh, peeps who went home we had abraham and um the girl i forgot her name sarah so the thing is so abraham was kind of yeah i i didn't like get to know him he, enough like he, he asserted kind of, himself a little bit too much yeah and I you think can't people just, you can't be that bossy on yeah, day one especially like that yeah. is like a rookie, rookie if you have a, a young team and you're the oldest you're already separate from them you need to sit need back to yeah you gotta like sit back you gotta yeah, be a chill lot of times cool. i feel like the vote especially in these early uh votes it just comes down to like who they want to hang out with at well that's camp. yeah that's the most important thing that's why honestly i thought that jd had a chance of going home just because everybody seemed like they were annoyed with him on day two which is not a good sign uh for you making it long in the show but you know um yeah I will say I was kind of sad to see Sarah go. Like, I actually thought that Sarah, I, I kind of liked what she had going a little bit. She reminded me of um, Survivor fans will know this name, but Amanda, um, just in kind of her play style of being not quite as flirty as like a poverty or something like that. But whenever, as soon as she gets to camp, she goes around to each person and be like, oh, yeah, so like you're married. How long have you been married for? And everything like getting to know everybody immediately trying to make that instant connection with everybody um i was a little bit sad to see her go i liked sarah but yeah. you know she was like shocked she was like crying <laughs> oh man i i do like how respectful some of these people are when you know it all comes down to them leaving because i think in earlier seasons people were like really upset and now it's like all right it's a game like it's fine you know it is what it is this is not like a personal attack <laughs> So yeah, I I love the show. I'm so glad I'm like back on the the wagon because of you guys. You guys pushed me. You guys pulled me back in. I did it. Yeah, my my little 13 year old self was like, you know, watching Cook Islands, like obsessed with like Oscar on the balance beam, and I thought that was peak Survivor. And now you know, I was like, Yule Quan, this is as good as it gets. Uh, now I'm I'm back in. So we'll try to touch back on this season again. We are about to do a Robin Williams series, but uh, I'm invested. So we'll see how it all goes. One last thing is we mentioned how corny it was that intro, but like when Jeff walked out from the bushes, it was like, hi, I missed you. I did have like a shitty grin on my my face. Like I was like, I missed you too, Jeff. (laughs) It's like, like he's just the uncle that I always wanted in my life. It's just uh, uncle Jeff Jeff, is back. He's got some wrinkles. He's not like Botoxing himself though. He's mm -hmm, Yeah. yeah. He's old. He's got uh, talking. We talked extensively about like his arms, how he's still looking like 
fucking jacked, but he's got like the old man's where it's like a very veiny jacked. Mm. This veins gotta, gotta work a little bit harder. Yeah, out there, you know, it's, it's not <laughs> like, an easy job. Yeah. So that's Survivor 41, uh, a new era, a new game, as they put it. Um, let's get to more catch up. It looks like we have some breaking news. Drew, <laughs> Saturday Night Live. Well, new season. Nothing, nothing official has dropped yet. However, obviously, new season coming very soon. Uh, in my in my diggings on the internet. I don't want to say where I found this because it might not be true, but I have five potential new cast members here and Mm -hmm. I'm loving what I'm hearing. Um, Three of them, I think we may have discussed a little bit on the pod before. It's the please don't destroy guys. What? (laughs) That's what... Yeah, that's this yeah, is huge. These, yeah, no they, way. They're, they're on TikTok. They're on IG, I believe. They they make they're on Twitter. They make the best uh, minute long sketches you could possibly make. Basically, they're so good. I they're like the modern version of Good Neighbor, which we were yeah. all obsessed yeah, they're with. King, they're kings. It's Ben Marshall. We know they they're in New York. I was yeah. <laughs> they I live was in saying New York. that at the very least, Ben Marshall, I think, could become like a an A one uh, TV guy. Uh, it's him. Mar- Martin Hurley and then John Higgins, uh, they they would be coming on to do digital content, which is great. Yeah, and then like the more I, the thing is, the more I read into them, because uh, they had a Vulture profile on them. Vulture is owned by yeah. New York Magazine, which I've said before, which operates out of Thirty Rock uh, and has like a, mm. like insane ties to SNL. And these guys went to NYU and did sketch there, which is where they yeah, that's and where they got one Bo of their Yang. dads. That's, yeah, and then yeah, they obviously because they went to NYU, they're they're rich boys, but well. The yeah. At least uh, Martin is, but the, yeah, these guys had the pedigrees, but they also deserve it because they're the funniest uh, actual so sketch makers that I've seen on a, a place like TikTok. Like it's hard to, it's hard to drive one idea home in one minute uh, without shortchanging it, and they do that over and over and over. Uh, either usually on Twitter, either Ben Marshall or Martin Hurley, he will post it depending on whose idea the sketch was. Um, the third guy is just along for the ride. Actually, he openly admits that, um, which is, you know, dream job. But so those three, that would rule. I'd be. That's kind of how I am with this podcast. Really? <laughs> just, I'm just Vibing. the third wheel to everything. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just hitchhiking. Um, I'm just a little amoeba on you guys. Next is someone who, I also have discussed a little bit before. It's Sarah Sherman, a.k.a. Sarah Squirm on Twitter, who is has been a writer for the Eric Andre show and does like extreme, like a more extreme version of Eric Andre shit. Uh, I don't know how that's going to go on SNL. She's like she's like gross out shock humor, um, like fully not not necessarily Yo, in public her, stuff but she's her her profile photo on twitter yeah like she yeah she's deranged um she's been it's like a, a fleshless face she's the person i i brought up because uh when i was talking about how eric andre's writers pitched to jackass they pitched to johnny knoxville in person and she was the person who had a notebook full of ideas and johnny said they were all too gross like this is, and she's going to be on SNL again. This is all uh, coming from like semi-reliable sources, but I don't know how the fuck that's going to work out. I don't know if she'll last. I love Sarah uh, Sherman. I'm glad she's getting a, a like a big platform because uh, she's incredibly funny. Um, and then the the fifth person is a guy who is only known 
publicly he obviously does comedy and sketch like in new york but he's only known by by the public at large because he has probably the best trump impression i've heard uh his name is uh james austin johnson and the it's funny to pick the guy who has the best trump impression when you've been having fucking alec baldwin absolutely blow it for like four years and now there's no need to have a trump guy anymore uh the thing is though this guy is just plainly funny you can tell from his impressions because what made those videos special is he doesn't he didn't dress up for those videos he looks nothing like donald trump actually he's a skinny white guy um and the videos of him doing this impression would literally just be him walking around in new york city with like a hat on like selfie vid and just rambling for like a minute and like like unwritten and it and it was just like the most transcendent impression i've ever heard in my life like he gets the tenor so correct he gets the he gets the ramble right because that's where a lot of impressions of trump go wrong is they're so written to be funny but trump just like yeah. he, he doesn't even know what he's saying most of the time <laughs> um so yeah I, I really like this guy i don't know what he has in his bag aside from that he looks just like a goofy white guy um which snl needs a few of obviously in any given year right yeah so, uh, of course. yeah these are all what i've heard i i want to say there's i want to say i'm semi-confident that this is true uh but again well the the new season starts a week from today as of this recording so we'll see for sure the please don't destroy guys ha have been I, pretty off grid for a while now i'll just say that i was gonna say that's like that almost seems like a lot for me like i i Kind of surprised that that hasn't come out yet officially for them because, yeah, we there was a period for the last like year where we were just sending those Twitter videos like to each other and TikToks. They're Every cold. single one They're is so, funny. so good. It also makes sense and because you, they uh, SNL brought in like five, six years ago the Good Neighbor crew to fill in this like mm -hmm. digital shorts, like absurdist sketch gap, but they don't really do that. Those sketches are not arable most of the time, and they're also not like ensemble sketches. They're usually like character studies about Kyle. So, um, <laughs> so now they're bringing in like these, oh. these guys are super young, they're super fresh faced, and they deserve every chance in the world. They're so I fucking funny. It's unbelievable. I, I have a question and maybe this is like this is like a sports analogy for you, but like, okay, so we have the good neighbor guys. We're gonna get the please don't destroy guys. We're gonna get Sarah Sherman. We're gonna get like all these really, really talented comedians. But at the same time, they have Freddie Kitchens as their coach and Colin Jost. And is that enough to just tank them so bad that they are just all not funny. <laughs> like it, how how much how great does the cast need to be to overcome how bad their head writer I don't, is? I don't think it has to be that great, especially for digital stuff, because it's not like Colin Jost. Well, digital, yeah, digital is more like has a little bit more leniency. I'm just talking yeah. about the show as a television product. Since this last year was the least that I've watched SNL, like probably since I was like I mean, 15, 16 years old. The last couple years. But I mean, this year I just I fully gave up. Like I gave up on SNL. I heard that there were some good sketches every now and then, but I don't think I saw like but, any of them. Uh, I, I think a, a large issue is that like even if even if there was a good head writer there i the comedy has just moved beyond snl like it's just you yeah. know like you could have seth 100%. meyer still there they would be doing a lot of sketches that just like would have <laughs> they would have no basis in like actual discourse even though they'd be trying to you know 
Yeah, no one yeah. is going to sit down I and just, watch an hour worth of like mediocre sketch comedy. But what about give me like a fifty percent hit rate? Is that is that too much? A fifty percent hit rate is like that's that's good. That's a good SNL episode when there's fifty percent of the episode, fifty percent of the sketches. I go, yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's like I've said before, like they don't, there's no audience for them to write for anymore. So it's just like all over the fucking place. The audience is fractured, like they don't need to exist. That said, it's still the best place to get connections in the industry. So I'm happy for all these people. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see the first four hosts of the season? I we saw got, Owen. yeah, we got Owen Wilson opening it up. Uh, with the first episode, then uh, Kim Kardashian, Kim Kardashian West uh, for the second one it should be interesting. Then Rami Malik, Rami Malik, Academy Award winner, Rami Malik. I wonder um, if he'll sing for this. No. Uh, and then Jason Sudeikis, first time Sudeikis. host. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Sude- that's gonna be a good app. I, I have faith in that one. Sudeikis is just the best. Do they announce the musical guests? Yeah, uh, Casey Musgraves, Halsey, Young Thug, and Brandy Carlisle. Sick. So, cool. That's SNL for you. Cool. Um, we'll see what happens next week. Next up, Hunter, you watched a little movie called Cinderella. God, I put this on the docket, and I already regret it. I don't want to give this even like any more thought. Like, it's already started to leave my brain. But fine. All right. Um, I saw a uh, a new film. Amazon Prime release uh, directed by Kay Cannon and written by Kay Cannon. Um, this is the new Cinderella. Uh, guys, this movie is it's truly just like abominable. Um, I uh, <laughs> it's like I went out um, I went home uh, to see visit my family this last weekend and my family are just huge musical fans. So you know, not a surprise. Yeah. They love Cinderella, you, you but put dear I went out, Evan Hansen on the calendar with a big red circle around it. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 Big fan. Um, so I, uh, it was my brother-in-law was going to a wedding. So I was just like, Oh, then he was like in kind of a rush. And I was like, Oh no, I'll run to the liquor store. I'll get you a bottle of whiskey and bring it to you at the event. So like I came back in about halfway through Cinderella And like what I saw was so bad that I had to come home and tell my future wife, like, oh, my God, we might have to watch Cinderella because this was so bad. And we love to watch bad shit together. Um, This is uh, a modern take on the classic Disney tale of Cinderella, of course. Uh, But this time Cinderella, she's not just Cinderella. She's Ella. And she's a struggling businesswoman who's trying to make her own uh, dresses. Mm. It's basically a Hallmark movie, <laughs> this movie, oh, except the budget is like $150 million behind it. And the music is bad. Um, I was Kamiya shocked g- at the music. Like, the why? Music there, is- there are, because it's not Disney. Awful. That's the thing. Like, yeah. Cinderella it's- is like an open, um, what's it called? Um, uh, there's a term for this that I'm blanking on. Um open source yeah yeah yeah. well it's it's something that not open source but like it's one of those things where like how there was like eight different tarzan movies that were all eight different like hercules movies that were all made within like a 15 year span by different studios and stuff so it just kind of happens with a lot of these classic properties um the music renditions are akin to something like moulin rouge which for musical people that they know it's where they just kind of take 
classic or pop songs and put them together um, in these like fun medley musical styles that is just bad. Um, Moulin Rouge has a couple good versions of that, but um, the cast of this movie is just really bad. First of all, I want to talk about Camilla Cabello. Um, I hate Camilla Cabello. Um, <laughs> and the thing is like, I wouldn't normally say this because you know, I'd normally be like, oh yeah, no, but I'm sure she's a nice person and everything like that. I don't like Camilla Cabello like as a person, as a human being, um, she's <laughs> racist. Uh, oh, no. uh, she said some really bad shit about some of the uh, um, African-American people who she has worked with in the past, including some people that were on Fifth Harmony with her. Um, so yeah, so no, just a bad person. I don't think that she's a talented on, singer and on. she's a worst but actress. Is she an LGBTQ ally for being a beard for Shawn Mendes? <laughs> oh, I forgot about this. You know, what's funny is- uh, Does that Gaia, make her a lesbian Gaia liked. Gaia liked- um, Sean Mendez until uh, they started seeing each other, and she was like, "Actually, like, no, nah, I don't fuck with Sean Mendez anymore." Well, <laughs> Sean Mendez yeah, I mean, is dead to me. That's what it takes. Then I guess <laughs> a good. So hey, you know, it's choice, a win. For, regardless, it's a win yeah. for me. Hey, like, I'll, I'll take the. I dig not having to listen to Sean Mendez anymore in the home. Um, so yeah, so she's not talented. The guy, the main dude who plays the Prince Charming, um, his name is Nicholas Galitzine. Um, Never heard this guy before. So you're thinking like, oh, well, at least he's like got to be a theater guy who's really talented. No, he's really, really bad singer. Like he might be the worst singer in this entire movie. He just has a really strong jawline that's going to age horribly in like three to five years. According Um, to Wikipedia, his dad is an entrepreneur from a family of Russian princes. Is that real? Yeah, according to really? he's literally like fucking. That's the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. Um, Pierce Brosnan sings in this movie, which oh goes boy. about as well as you could imagine Pierce Brosnan singing in a film. Um, going, sorry, Mamma Mia fans. Um, it's not as good as he is in Mamma Mia, which I don't remember him in Mamma Mia, but I'm gonna guess that he's not the highlight of singing in that movie. Hell no. Ernest, yeah, okay, yeah, thank you. Um, the problem is, so Adina Menzel plays um, the, the stepmother. The stepmother, and Adina Menzel is a fucking queen. Like she's incredible. She's by a mile the most talented person in this movie, and they put her as the stepmother. So they're making the most likable and the most talented person the villain of this story. It's just inherently backwards to me because she's a stepmother. She has the like some of the least amount of like lines and screen time and stuff and it's just so stupid and backwards you know they tried to make uh billy porters in there as the fabulous godmother um sure you sure Why not? um james corden plays one of the mice uh, this um, is this is what i wanted to hear about okay let's all so right. let's just start with the mice before the transformation takes place i i can can you guys you're all on a computer right now can you look up uh what the mice from cinderella look like um, for me um i just want to see what your reactions are to it um from this cinderella from cinderella 2021 it would look like yeah it would look like it was like really good uh cgi work in like 2006 um Unfortunately, we aren't in the year 2006 anymore. Um, so the way that they move is truly nightmare. It doesn't even have Gordon's um, face, man. Come on. 
No, but they do transform, of course, in the classic Cinderella tale, they transform into like her chauffeurs. The mice also, okay, so the mice talk like human voices and everything, of course, too, in the beginning. Um, and the way their mouse move is just fucking horrifying. Um, they transform. The transformation is whatever, like it's, Whoa. you know, it's nothing. James, James Acaster is one of the mice. <laughs> yeah, James Acaster. Like one of the best British absurdist comedians. That's. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, do you know what? Get, get those checks. Um, maybe he replaced John Mulaney. Um, because John Mulaney was supposed to be in this movie and then dropped out to go to rehab, which. You know, isn't a joking matter, but like I do like to think in my head that maybe he read this script and was like, well, maybe I should just go back to rehab. Maybe I don't need the money this bad. <laughs> the, um, the script made him like, <laughs> relapse. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the trend. There's a video going around on Twitter a couple weeks ago, whenever this came out, of James Corden's transformation back into a mouse. Um, Love and it. It's. It's, it's one of the best I, things I've seen in a while. It's yeah. I, I don't know, man. This is like, it's just, it's so deprived of any kind of anything of note whatsoever. It's just such a nothing movie, um, which is, you know, a bummer. Like I, 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 not like I expected this to be great or anything like that, but you know, it's K Cannon. Like, I want Kate Cannon to get She's, some dubs, yeah. man. Blockers. Has, yeah, Blockers, actually, you're right, was well-received. Blockers Pitch Perfect. Was, yeah, it was fun. Pitch Perfect. Yeah, it was fun. That. Yeah. But she... I mean, like she's, she's one of the main producers is on 30 Rock. Like, come on, man. Like, Whoops. I, I watched just, her movie uh, Let It Snow on Netflix. Came out a couple of years ago. And, you know, it was fine. It was like a solid little bad Netflix movie. Um, I am curious, though. You did share a video of uh, Miss Cabello uh, singing. And am I wrong? <laughs> so it's the thing. What is up uh, with that? <laughs> so what's that song called? The um, hold on, wait. I'm gonna do some googling real quick. Am I wrong? I think it's called Am I Wrong? No. Okay. Yeah, it's called Am I Wrong by Nico and Vins. Uh, People who have ever listened to the radio in the last seven years have heard this song. Well, I realize it's from 2013, but that makes sense because I've heard it probably a thousand times this time. It's the song. It's like, am I wrong for trying to reach the places I can't see? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That song. Um, so you might notice in that song, it's not so much singing as it is like uh, like talk singing. Um and you know what that's like not good for is for uh, trying to sing in a musical. Mm. Um, if like the artists, like the host artists aren't very good singers, it's not usually the best sign. Um, and Adina Menzel is out there doing her thing where she's like hyper enunciating everything, everything that makes her like the queen of the stage and of musicals. And Camilla Cabello tries to do her own thing on it. And it's. I might have work. to share it after I might have to like retweet it or something after this because it's so bad. It's so bad. I, oh, I'm man. so fascinated as to why they made this soundtrack like this, because there are already I mean, obviously, I guess they couldn't do the Disney songs like Bippity Boppity Boo and all of that. But there is I, I talked about it before. There is that um, Whitney Houston Brandy uh, movie 
that they could have pulled songs from as well, because that movie, I think, pulled songs from a past Cinderella movie that I think starred. Um, uh, what's her name from uh, Sound of Music? Julie Andrews. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm pretty sure that there is like this, like not Disney uh, breed of like musical Cinderella and I figured that this was going to redo those songs. And now they're like pulling from radio hits. And I'm just like, what is happening? So if you're looking for uh, some Cinderella content worth mm-hmm. watching, uh, go ahead and go on Disney Plus and watch that Whitney Houston one. Because that, you know, it's not incredible, but it's yeah, not it's not bad. It's well, good. there's good singing, at least in it, because right. it's Whitney Houston and not Camilla Cabela. Um Two things uh, I will say before we go. Um, congratulations to this movie for getting nominated for Best Original Song for Million to One, which is a really a dog shit pop song. It's like, if it's a million to one, I'm going to be that one. Um, that's Ugh, the, that's really the song. Good. It's really bad. It's that's really huge. bad. Um, that was honestly better. And I am going to be performing it live um, this weekend. Um, and I'll perform it at the 100 Gex concert. Um, it's a uh, yeah, it's a bad song, but it's an original song and it's in the middle of the movie. So I'm just going to go ahead and uh, pencil that in for an Oscar nomination right there. And congratulations to Kay and the whole crew for that one. Um, one other thing I wanted to say, um, this movie uh, kind of highlights the dark side of what a movie of what a the success of something like Hamilton will do. Um, mm. And I say that because there is a town crier in this movie. Who's just like, yo, my name is Fryer and I'm the town crier. And now I'm going to tell you about the things that are going down in the town. Whoa. And my mom watched this and with full sincerity said, oh, is that guy? Is he from Hamilton? (laughs) And just the lack of self. I was like, you guys have no idea like how hard I was just because everybody in my family was so like genuinely loving this. And I didn't want to just shit oh, all over man. something that they loved um but yeah no it was uh it, it was it was so just that that scene killed me um i mean my family just loved they just really loved camille cabello and nicholas galatine's uh cover of dances in the dark or no what the fuck is the song called um the ed sheeran song dancing in the dark oh perfect um yeah, it's bad. Love is bad love movie. is bad, love. Bad, 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 bad movie. Um, we, we've talked way too I'm much sorry, about fam, Cinderella if you guys are listening to it. It's not a, hey, if, yeah, if uh, it makes your family feel any better, Hamilton sucks too. Um, anyway, Hamilton well, does but, not suck. You just didn't. Hamilton does have the bad. The friar sounded like Hamilton straight up. <laughs> Hamilton does not suck, but Hamilton did. It, like you know sometimes art can produce like some really bad art in return and the real question though is where will the music from cinderella 2021 land on the next rolling stone top 500 yeah i'm really which is uh, well i already so i don't know if you saw the live update a million to one is actually it's number three now oh. number three sorry sam cook got cut um bummer sorry um so Rolling Stone puts out they've they've long put out uh, like top 500 lists, uh, not just top 500, like they do top 50, top 100 thing to do. Um, it is. But it, 
when Rolling Stone was had a centralized point of view, it made a lot more sense. And Ernie, I'm, I bet you were probably like me, where like their top 500 songs and albums list actually were really important to me. And like in, you know, like late middle school into high school, I learned yes. about a shitload of good uh, like classic rock from it because that's what Rolling Stone understands <laughs> is classic rock. They. Yeah, that was that was right before the era where they stopped being irrelevant, because I I remember even picking up the magazine pretty frequently and going through it. So the website was just an extension of that kind of trust that you would put in the the Rolling Stone brand of like being this beacon of like, what should I listen to? And the list would, you know, you would know that like, oh yeah, these are the classic rock guys. So their top 500 songs of all time, it's just going to be like a lot of classic rock and that's fine because that's what they, and they would do, they would do uh, magazine issues around these lists, right? Like they would have a whole issue. And it would just be a ton of Beatles and Beach Boys and like Zeppelin and like, you know, they'd sprinkle in like go Johnny go and like Marvin Gaye and people um, because that was their brand. Now, now, and because rock music was the dominant form of music for for decades, rock music was synonymous with pop music until until the eighties and even afterward for a while. Uh, that made Rolling Stone the definitive voice in music. Period. Right? Um, because we have moved so far beyond rock's relevance, Rolling Stone is no longer the definitive voice in music. And also, there sort of isn't a definitive voice in music because we don't need it anymore. Because yeah. it used to be that you needed someone trustworthy to tell you an album was good because in order to listen to that whole album you had to buy the album uh so it was a risk you 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 wanted to know it was good before you went to the store and paid for it now we can just listen to any music we don't necessarily need a middleman getting in the way and telling us if it's good or not that said like places like pitchfork and even legitimately anthony fantano have their finger way more on the pulse than rolling stone does and they have for quite some time um and algorithms You know, the Spotify yeah. algorithm that just like recommends new shit based on your listening so, habits. So Rolling Stone updates its top 500 songs of all time for the first time in something like 15 years, which coincidentally is when they lost the mantle of being important <laughs> uh, around yeah. 15 years ago. We're right around when, when post grunge sort of killed rock. Um, so this list is really 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 funny um it's it's gotten exclusively negative feedback um and for a lot of different reasons it's not it's not because of a bunch of like classic rock heads being like man you're putting all this rap on here no uh fans of rap should be disgusted as well because this list reflects no uh knowledge of it it just like throws it on there somewhere you know what i mean i just want to I just want to ask, like, I need to get your guys's like true take here. So Daddy Yankees, Gasolina, number 50, greatest song of all time, overrated or underrated? You So you could make an argument. I'd go with over. That's not even <laughs> close to even the worst thing on the list, because you could you can argue, no, just, you, so you can argue with something like just, that. That song was incredibly important for like getting reggaeton into America, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I wouldn't put it at number 50, but the, the it's it gets worse especially at the bottom uh where you 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 at the very bottom of the list you realize how banal of a 
exercise this even is, especially if you don't have any viewpoint on music anymore, because mm-hmm. uh, because you end up with a list that has like it has Lil Nas X right next to like the breeders like and I'm not <laughs> saying that like ne- either of those don't deserve a spot on here. But what I'm saying is though they it's apples and oranges. That's entirely different things. It's not like movies where there's enough carryover to sort of put shit on a list. The, music has uh, bisected into so many different forks. Like there are so many different types of music that to to compare it without breaking it down by genre or by like I said voice uh, is it's entirely pointless like those two artists don't need it, to be on any list together ever it's it's yeah no it's an inherently like it's it's a it's a flawed exercise like there's no way to do it right yeah exactly what you're saying like i'm looking on here where it's just we're going from um <clears throat> lana del rey to jefferson airplane to missy elliott to toto to Migos, Whoa. like that's not like this. No, what are we doing? Like, well, what are we doing? And what's then the point here's of this? where it it this is where they just stepped in their own shit. Um, I think the most is the their number eight best song of all time is "Get Your Freak On" by Missy Elliott, which is upfront. I have to say this: it's Timbaland produced. It's a great fucking song. It rules. It's it's the one that goes like like that's yeah. it's a banger yeah. of a song. Get your freak on, get your freak on. If if we're making a list of the 500 best songs of all time, you could make some argument that it sh- should be somewhere on that list. They're arguing that that is the best hip hop song ever made. It is the highest placed hip hop song on the entire list. Uh, Hip hop fans would never, ever, ever condone that. Uh, rock fans would never even understand that. Like, there is no point of view from which that is a good take. There, there's no standing you can have. There's no argument you can make. Outcast, uh, hey ya is a hey ya makes that kind of makes more of a sense because that is such a mass appeal song. Hey ya plays at every single fucking wedding that you'll ever go to for the rest of your life because it's so non-abrasive it's for just, everybody yeah, that, that rules hard <laughs> but it comes down to what are we doing are we doing most influential or just like yeah what we think sound the just, best like whatever yeah, it doesn't no, matter there's no criteria in which that can be placed there there's zero criteria in which that makes sense except for like they just like needed more representation in the top 10 and that goes further too because their number one best song of all time is respect by aretha franklin again unbelievable well, so that's a song that does i think 99 times out of 100 you're gonna put that song somewhere on the list right it's one of the 500 best songs mm-hmm. ever but again who is saying that that is the best song ever who has ever but the last list had rolling stones and beatles and all these white artists in the front so now they think that we are like we're different just, now we well, but are they're, diverse they're, we they're have fight the lists, power at number two their albums list put uh, Marvin Gaye at number one, and that's an incredible album that I think is worthy of number it's, one. What's going on? It's like that's a perfect album. Like, argue, let's put it at I number would one. I argue that the song "What's Going On" has more of a standing to be number one on this list yeah. than that album does on the other list because the album as a whole 
has a, maybe a little bit of uh, you know less less known, less popular songs. What's going on by Marvin Gaye? No one would fight you if you put that at number one. It's an objectively great yeah. song. It has a lot of societal commentary. It has musical complexity, yet it also has pop appeal. Um, they put it at six, res- so that's that's still great. Respect by Aretha Franklin is a pop song um, that you know. Obviously, it does have an, like it has an amount of feminism to it, but it's a very straightforwardly composed and executed pop song from 1967. Um, so that th- there are a lot of other songs that you could pretty easily compare that song to, and maybe it's the best out of those songs, but it's absolutely deranged to put that at number one. Yeah, it's it's such like a it's this whole list is just about like to make it look. It's all about appearances, because again. Looking through here, I didn't actually even like read through this extensively. Like, looked, I skimmed before, but just like looking on here, like, do you really think that there was just like a knockdown drag out fight over where to put uh, ABBA's Dancing Queen at 286 or to flip flop it and put uh, Destiny's Child Say My Name at 285? Like, what are you? <laughs> I, I want to know, I want a movie about the bloodbath that went down when they put Bohemian Rhapsody behind Beyonce and Jay-Z's Crazy in Which, Love. Okay, that's another great example. Crazy in Love is one of the best pop songs ever. Like, it's an unbelievable pop song. Bohemian Rhapsody is one of the greatest popular pieces of music ever because it's not a pop song and yet it's so good that it became a number one hit that is sung 40 years later by everyone that's yeah. not two things you can put compare to each other you know yeah no the way to do this list if you one this is like inherently a flawed list because like we've been saying like music is so stratified that there's no purpose for this to exist anymore but if you're gonna do this you do top 500 rock songs top 500 pop songs top 500 uh like songs from the 21st century like something like that like there's no point in comparing music from the 1960s to shit that came out in the last five years what are we doing like music is just different 30 is deranged (laughs) if i went up if i went to like chuck berry and was just like hey listen to this and i put on 100 gex he would like blow his brains out like they would kill themselves if they heard music that was (laughs) created today like you can't compare these two these are two they're not the same medium man like what are and, we well, doing? Also, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, you need to have an established publication voice, and you need to stick by that because Pitchfork could do that. Pitchfork could have a top 500 songs ever, and the list would be plenty disagreeable. But it wouldn't. You could see that list and how it would be a Pitchfork. Yeah, and it would list. make perfect right. sense. Yeah. It would be a lot of really like there would be a lot of like long ass songs, a lot of uh, influential music over influential over music, mm-hmm. electronic, a lot of electronic, like weird electronic yeah, they dance. Would put, like, an, an affix twin song at like number three and everyone would be like what the fuck and it's like yeah it's pitchfork like and they ha- they can make that argument because they have been the voice that defines how that music is received since it's been out uh on the other hand the rolling stone has had no bearing on how people feel about hip-hop and now all of a sudden they're like you know people actually they probably love get your freak on more than any other hip hop song ever. <laughs> it's, it's so embarrassing. It's, it's, it is a dying star. This is like the last breath of, of music journalism that we're watching right now. And we love to see it. Love the, it's, yeah. They just put it all out there for everyone to see. I, and, you know, 
Good Ernest, for them. How, how upset were you that Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way, was 40 spots higher than Dancing Queen? I just want to know. <laughs> I don't know. Not not as upset as Green Day, Basket Case, and like the, the 150 range. Yeah, you think that should have been number one, right? Should we put I mean, brains? Least, can we make our own list and brain stew as number one? At least top twenty. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know. All right. Well, you can look at the list yourself. It's a lot. I mean, five hundred songs is a lot, but it's just fun to kind of click around and see. Just like, you know, uh, it's a good list to like make you mad. Just to like read and be like, oh, I know more about music than these people who are paid to write about music. Yeah. And yeah, just like you've been saying, like if you were to structure it more, it would be a great way to to dive deep and find good things. Right. Like if they did like a true rock list and put a lot of deep cuts in there, then it'd be like, all right, let's dive in and let's find the top 100 emo songs list that we talked about on the pod, which thanks to that is how we discovered origami angel like this incredible like small band like that's how you do a list like this if you are going to do something you don't just take all of music and just throw it all together on the list and just not have any kind of voice whatsoever oh my god the killers mr brightside at 378 <laughs> 378 so where, mr brightside what's the what's the highest rated song from uh, um imploding the mirage on here <laughs> Did that make the oh, top yeah. 150? Yeah, I think that did crack at least the top 200 for sure. Um, really great stuff. Hotline Bling, Hotline Bling 373. Yeah, that's, see, this is a publication that only knows number one hip hop songs and then knows that's, deep I'm looking rock at, songs. I'm looking at all these are just like a song where it's just like, mm, yes, yeah, Stand by Eminem. My dad's heard that before. Oh my God, <laughs> Killing Me Softly with his song by the Fugees is at 359. I I'm done. This is blank space at 357. Let's go, baby. Hey, you know, I will I will say that uh, um I love I again this is a stupid and a made up list and nothing matters and life is fleeting. But I did, I was happy that dreams the best Fleetwood Mac song made the top ten. It's yeah. just so it a perfect it's song. So, yeah, it's know. it's a perfect song off a of perfect now. Honestly, like you could put like fucking ten songs from rumors in the top one hundred and like I wouldn't be you upset could put by that. 10, like you could legitimately put ten Kendrick Lamar songs on this list. And if you want to prove hip hop credibility, the easiest layup ever is to put like something like all right in the top ten. Put all right in the top ten. Yeah, no, the, exactly. The yeah, highest, that's because it's just like that, we are we're, this song is important. It's a number one hit. It's their highest rated yeah. Kendrick song is number forty five. And get your free con is number eight. Oh boy. All right. Well, that's great. the Rolling Stone top 500 songs. Before we wrap up, I wanted to shout out two movies that I've seen uh, recently. Um, again, I, I have a whole list of stuff worth talking about. A lot of TV, a lot of great TV uh, coming out right now. But um, I wanted to shout out a good movie and a not so good movie. Uh, before we don't have another catch-up episode for a while. Uh, we may not be able to fit one in before the end of the year. So we'll try. Hoping, we'll boys. see. Uh, we are about uh, to jump the, into the you Robin saw the Williams sequel, deep end. You saw the sequel to Barry Sonnenfield's Nine Lives, correct? 
Is that the cat movie? The yes, Kevin the, the, the Kevin Spacey one. Yes. Yeah. That that movie was released a week after um, all the allegations came out against Kevin Spacey. And it was a historic bomb. Is that the movie? That's the sequel that you saw. Correct. That you're so gonna talk about? I saw a movie called Nine Days. Um, no relation as far as oh, I know. No shit. relation to uh. the band that made the song. This is a story of a girl. <laughs> They're called Nine Days. That's Nine, nine Days. <laughs> So this is a directorial debut by a guy named Edson Oda. Um, and as far as the directorial re- debut goes, I think it's pretty fantastic. Um, he got a big cast to come on board. Um, Zazie Beetz is in there. Winston Duke, Bill Skarsgård, Benedict Wong, Tony Hale. So you got a, a bit of a, of a good cast of, of characters here. And the concept of the story is pretty interesting it's essentially takes place in like this sort of afterlife ish. It's like, it's kind of like soul. You, you remember, you guys remember soul, mm-hmm. how there was like the great before in soul. It's kind of that it's kind of a whole movie just set in the great before where these um, people are essentially like narrowing down their spot to live life on earth. Um, and Winston Duke plays, kind of the main character and he's sitting in in this house in this um living room with a bunch of TVs in front of him and each TV has a different life playing out and he's just like observing them because these are people that he chose from the great before to go live their lives but the, the, all of this is is it's not explained to you in detail you kind of just have to figure it out as the movie goes along it's very patient and it's very like kind of subdued um, and held back and you just kind of have to stick with it to kind of uncover these things. But essentially that's, that's kind of what the movie is, is, is he has to find a new person to go and live life. And all of these people are potential people and he has to narrow it down to just one. So the, the bulk of the movie is just a series of kind of conversations and little tests that he has for them to kind of, see uh who is worthy of being the the person who's chosen to live um so it's it's a very unique story you know it's 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 not something you see kind of you know formulaic wise repeated uh a lot i i know there's a lot of uh overlap with something like soul but i felt like the movie didn't have a lot of things that just felt familiar um the thing is though is that i kind of felt like it was a little too subdued, a little bit too slow, like a little too patient. I kind of felt like a little bit frustrated that the movie wasn't giving me enough, you know, but a lot of times, you know, a lot of people gravitate towards movies like that, where it kind of holds back and like expects you to kind of be extremely patient with it. I just, uh, I just kind of struggled a little bit with it. I, mm. I still think it's great. I still think it's one of the best movies of the year. Um, just because, you know, it, it is kind of working at such kind of a low budget level with a high concept idea to execute. Um, and I think Winston Duke is outstanding in yep. this movie. The whole movie, he is so, so quiet and subdued and restrained. And then in the very last scene, he just lets it rip. And it was worth it just for that. Like, my guy is incredible. I, I want to see this guy in more shit. Uh, obviously, he was an us and he had a little bit of a of a part in um, 
uh, Black Panther. Spencer Confidential. Oh, didn't see that. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. Um, and Zazie Beats is fucking awesome. She is. She kind of brings this like mysterious vibe to the to the situation, and she's kind of uh, uh, you know kind of doing uh, zagging when everybody's zigging kind of deal. Um, and everybody else was great. Uh, again, who, Bill Skarsgård. And, who does but, Who does my guy Tony Hale play? He's one of the He's one of the potential souls to that gets narrowed I, down. Um, I don't know if we've I don't know if we talked about it on the pod, but I fucking love Tony Hale so much because my uncle was very good friends with him back in high school. Shout yeah, out to a, young actors theater in Tallahassee, local. Florida. Yeah. Hey. Um, so you do recommend this overall, though. Yes. I mean, you said it's one of the best things of the year, which is I know this movie got a lot of buzz. It was at Sundance 2020 um, and a yeah, lot and of people really liked out. it. It's just now coming out. I really wanted to see it in theaters, but it got pulled from theaters after a week because it bombed hard. Yeah, it had a 10 million dollar budget. And so far, worldwide it has made eight hundred sixty six thousand. Yeah. So not even a tiny. tenth of its budget back. Yeah, I, I will say I, I do follow some people on Letterboxd that are giving it like 10 out of 10, like masterpiece. I'm not quite there. I'm not, you know, quite a 10 out of 10 masterpiece on this one. But I do think that is it is a great movie. And hmm. I do think that, you know, as far as a directorial debut goes, you know, this guy had never made a movie before. Um, it is very well done and the whole cast does a great job. I just kind of, I felt the, the patience of the movie a little bit too much. And it is kind of a long movie. It is like a two hour movie. It's not a 90 minute boy. Um, as I, I tend to prefer when it comes to movies like this. So you do kind of feel the length a little bit, but there are enough nuggets throughout to kind of keep you intrigued. So that's nine days. Check it out. The last thing I wanted to talk about, boys, I've been I've been kind of in halfway, maybe not. Should I do it? Should I pull the trigger? Reminiscence, a Hugh Jackman vehicle written and directed by Lisa Joy, co-creator of Westworld. We love Westworld. No. <laughs> Wife of Jonathan Nolan brother of chris nolan they, it's been it's probably been a few years so we might not have even had the same crowd that's listening to the pod now uh from whenever westworld was on air but um let's just say that uh one third of this podcast does not love westworld and i I'll was the only one who watched one the third is. season of westworld which was not good you drew did you finish season two mm, no Okay. Okay. So you're the only one who even finished, who watched more than a season and a half of Westworld. I was hard out like halfway through season two. I was like, I'm done with this show. So this movie um, is very much pulling from the Inception playbook, um, hardcore. Except instead of trying to about be, eleven years late for that. Yeah. Okay. It, it, yeah. Instead of trying to be a heist movie, it's trying to be a detective noir movie. Um, and it's set in a world where climate change has destroyed, um, most coastal cities, um, and people are living in flooded, uh, cities, just trying to, you know, live life. It, it, you, you learn more about the backstory. Apparently there's like a war that broke out, uh, when everything started going to shit and now the war has ended and people have kind of tried to pick up the pieces and, and live their lives, um, the, the movie takes place in Miami, which I was like, 
it you don't get like any Miami vibes from it, but apparently it takes place in Miami. Um, the movie is bad. Apparently, it is a bad movie. Apparently it takes place in Miami. Um, I had fun with it though, because I decided as soon as the movie started that it was a parody, that it was essentially a Saturday night live uh, parody of a noir movie. And when you watch the movie through that lens, all of the dialogue and all of the characterization and the acting and everything is incredibly entertaining. Um, so I had a lot of fun with it. Every, every little bit that's like leaning into that noir genre with the hard boiled detective. And he's giving like a gruff voiceover about, you know, how, um, uh, the past, we are ghosts of our past and the past is a ghost to us. Uh, and the, the, you know, all of these aphorisms and, and, Hugh Jackman, he brings it, you know, he's always great. I always love him. I think he's fantastic, even in a bad movie. And uh, you got Rebecca Ferguson in there, kind of the femme fatale, almost like a comical level femme fatale with the hair and the dress and everything. It's just, again, a parody of a noir movie, at least to my viewing. Um and Thandie Newton's in there from uh, Westworld. So, you know, she gets a, a good bit of the. Um, Tandy Newton is more than just being in a dog shit Westworld show. Tandy Newton is incredible. Don't don't put her from Westworld. From Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's God. better. Um, so this movie is like uh, historically like one of the biggest flops in history um if you like look at the numbers and everything of how much money it made versus the 110 million dollar budget yeah i mean i was i was interested in it in the sense that it was like an original story it's not tied to a marvel or a dc or anything like that it's not based on a comic book it is truly like an original thing with movie stars in it and a bit of a budget behind it i mean one of the best things about this movie is that it looks gorgeous like they actually did a great job at kind of realizing this this future world and framing these shots in a sense of like kind of wonder because there is like this dreamlike quality to the movie that plays into the plot because everybody's trying to uh kind of relive their past you know they're stuck in this horrible dystopia and there's this technology that allows them to slip into a dream state um, to relive their memories. So the aesthetics of the movie kind of capture that. So it looks beautiful, but the, uh, the dialogue is so bad. Um, I just, I want to ask like, why do you think, so like, I'm looking up to make sure right now it had the worst three day debut in history for any movie opening in 3000 theaters. Of course this isn't COVID times, but the worst three-day debut in history for any movie opening that wide. Like I get COVID and depressed box office and also all on stuff. HBO max, which is where I saw it. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is it, is it just because it's HBO max? Cause Hugh Jackman's still like, he puts butts in seats still. Like he's still like a guy like people, dads fucking love Hugh Jackman. And you know, there's usually a little bit of a built-in audience for some kind of hard sci-fi stuff, even if it's not a huge audience. Do you think it's just because like this movie was panned like 
for about a month before it was even released. No, no one cares about pans. It, it could be that, um, like, audio, like you know, real movie audiences. I'm just, I'm, I'm just curious why it failed this bad. That is a historic if, flop. That's what's the most fascinating thing because it doesn't even sound like it's like as dog shit. I don't know. As, Have you ever like, seen an it ad should for be it? for this? I haven't. Um, I did, but I'm probably like in like the target audience yeah. where I'll get Twitter pop up ads Mo- for this shit. Most of the time, that's the answer to something like this. Oh. It's every ad that I saw for this movie was essentially an ad for HBO Max. Yeah, see, it, yeah, um, they were just kind of like billing this movie alongside signing up for the service. And unlike um, something like In the Heights, where uh, HBO is like, actually, we're getting uh these hundred million views on in the heights they have not said a goddamn thing about reminiscence which means nobody's even clicking on this on the app yeah i mean i almost (laughs) didn't watch it but on the last night that it was available it was the night of the emmys and i was sitting there watching the emmys and i was like i don't want to watch this i would rather watch reminiscence (laughs) you know that might be a better use of your time honestly that might have worked out well (laughs) i i enjoyed it it was a bad movie but it was bad in a way that made me laugh a lot. Like I, I, I was hooting. I'm going to start taking that mindset in for every, like whenever I watch Dear Evan Hansen, I'm going to be like, oh, this is a parody of musicals. Yeah. Exactly. This is a parody of VFX. Okay, cool. Yeah. Got it. I mean, honestly, great. like, dude, every time the voiceover kicks in, every time he like pops his dark trench coat collar uh, every time Rebecca did Ferguson they, is like in a red dress. Did they want to be Blade Runner? Did they want to be Blade yeah. Runner and Inception? Is that what yeah, exactly. the pitch was for this movie? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of a nonsense plot. I mean, dude, Lee turned to me after the movie finished and she was like, I think that was the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> ever. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well. So not not signing it. Lee is not on board for the next Hugh Jackman vehicle that you bring her on board for. Yeah, but I mean, it, it had potential, you know, there was something there. It has the bones of something, you know, an original movie, mid budget type of deal with movie stars like there's something there that drew me in somewhat, you know, it just didn't it didn't quite deliver, you know, at all. So I I at least commend it for trying, you know, for it, at least for existing, you know, and, and not being tied to a Disney comic book franchise um, and having, you know, cool shots that look cool. Um, otherwise. Not good. Not do you want to do like a quick a quick uh 60 seconds on the Emmys. Did you have any thoughts at all about the Emmys? Uh, Ted Lasso, baby. Yeah. Ted Lasso, that, seven that was, Emmys. That's my thought. Uh, fucking love Ted Lasso. I think it is one of the best shows of the year. Incredible. So deserved for all its Emmy love. Um, otherwise, you know, whatever. Michaela hey. Cole won. So that was cool. Uh, for I May yeah, Destroy You. Not, not for acting, but for writing for writing, for writing. Yeah. so hey there's something for i may destroy you yeah hey and you know what she michaela Cole, i mean probably deserved it for acting but hey you know what uh congratulations to mayor good for you kate yeah kate winslet mm-hmm. Shout uh, out to hacks, you, kate winslet. hacks got a couple um mm-hmm. for uh gene smart Love gene. and some of the directing and writing and the Not crown a- the crown guys, <laughs> guys. 
We love Got the it. crown. Man. Dude, good thing that like TV is keeping. I'm just so glad that Yemis are like keeping white actors relevant. Right. Dude, that was it was they, so the, the, white. White people really need a W. It was so jarring when they read all the nominees <laughs> for best supporting actor in a drama. And Michael K. Williams was in there for Lovecraft Country. And the clip that they pulled, this guy is giving like the performance of a lifetime. And then they give it to fucking white guy number three in The Crown. And it's just like, man, what are we doing? Dude, I just, I see the Emmys are stupid. And uh, luckily the Oscars have, it's one thing that I will give the Oscars credit, which I know I'm like, saying this and then some bullshit's gonna fucking win this year uh but like there's one thing the oscars have kind of at least shifted what the idea of oscar bait is and now that oscar bait has now moved to television and the crown is the most emmys bait shit every year because mm-hmm. it's like production design ooh elegant white people doing white people yeah. things. Also, the bio, the thing the is, bio I've, heard that, I've heard that The Crown marks. is like actually like a pretty good show, but like it's a show that's made to win awards. It's a show that like they send in the script, they shoot it, and they say thank you very much. I would like a little gold man, please. Mm-hmm. And they always get the little gold man. It's campy. It's yeah. very, very campy. Um, all right. Whatever. Who cares? Well, that's all we got for you this week, folks. Next week, we are starting our Robin Williams series mm. with Popeye. Ay, 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 ay. Popeye, a little movie. Crazy that this is like his first big movie. This is um, going to be the first Robert Altman movie that we ever discuss on the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like notoriously Played. Robert Altman's least favorite movie they ever made. We're also going to talk about the first uh, Coppola movie on this run on the podcast. Man, yeah, I love unless, it. Unless you I count your, um, your Oscar episode. Yeah, with, uh, me just I've, like talking about The Godfather. I've talked about Apocalypse now. Come on. I meant like a whole episode. We're oh, devoting okay. a whole episode to an Altman and a Coppola, but not, not what people think. So stay tuned. Uh, that's going to be the bulk of the rest of 2021 is Robin Williams. Essentially, what we're about to do is we're going to have to split the whole arc in two. So you'll get part one this year. And then in 2022, you'll get part two. Um, so this will essentially be like the 80s and the 90s. And then in um, in the new year, we'll get to the 2000s. Uh, roughly, I don't know exactly where the cutoff will be. And we'll, um, we'll air for some good, some releases that we've been talking about. Like we're gonna have to talk about Dune. We'll have uh, to do a Dune yeah. Yeah. as Ernest is back here with his uh, arrival background on this. But I'm surprised it's not Blade Runner 2049, the most visually stunning movie ever made. According to the Ernest. spice uh, must flow. <sighs> the spice must flow. That'll do it. And the pod must cast. <laughs> So stick around. Uh, lots of good stuff, uh, especially Robin Williams. Uh, excited for this new career arc series. It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a trip. Um, all right. Well, please uh, follow us and donate if you're able to. Review, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. And we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye bye. Bye.